official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing? I was about to ask for a little bit more volume, but the Lord heard my prayer. Good morning. My name is Ian. I'm a part of the team here at Church of the Well, and I am excited because we are right in the middle of our series on the kingdom of God, and we're looking at parables that Jesus told, illustrating the nature, the character of the kingdom of God. And, and Adam has been saying this for a few weeks, that to understand the kingdom of God, we're all kind of like fish who are trying to understand and imagine what it's like uh, to breathe air and to live above the water, right? Um, and Jesus, so Jesus told these parables um, that they, they were inviting and they were actually captivating to Jesus's audience. And I find them captivating as well. And so hopefully we all have this opportunity to dig in a little bit deeper and be captivated by these parables that Jesus told, um, they, they had this capacity in them to invite hearers or readers, Jesus's audience, to imagine a world that is in some way unimaginable, unimaginable. And yet these parables are also, they invite us into simplicity. They're simple and yet they're, they present kind of a radical image or this radical idea of the kingdom of God in that Jesus announced it being here. And also he told his disciples, his followers, his students, his apprentices to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we read the gospels. And so we find ourselves in this tension as we hear Jesus's words, as he invites us to imagine what life would be like in the kingdom of God. He declares its present, its presentness. It is here, right? It is at hand and it's good news somehow. It's somehow good news, not only for those who think they might be in or, or in some sort of group, right? Where they are the in group and then there's that group who's the out group. But Jesus declares that there are all sorts of people invited in, right? The unexpected, and so we, we did a series on that last year, uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about this sort of uh, invitation, right? And so we find ourselves in different places and in different ways compelled by these parables, right? Because for some of us, it's a word that the word that we need to hear is that the kingdom of God is here, right? The laptop broke, and in some ways, we might find ourselves in different ways our lives being, that, that laptop being broken could be a metaphor for many of our lives, right? Our life, we are the broken laptop, right? And we need to hear from the Spirit of God a fresh word that we are invited in, that his grace is present for us. And, and in other ways, we turn on the news and we see that not all is right, right? And we see that there is work to be done. And so we're a community that holds these two things in tension. And these, this is one of the beautiful things that the parable does. It, it's, it's the announcement of grace here, now, present. The kingdom of God is here. And yet, 
Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is work to be done, brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. So, in many ways, these parables are an invitation for us to imagine. And I would argue that perhaps the beginning, to, the beginning of the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, is, in fact, uh, it starts with an expansion of our capacity to imagine. And that's why I think it's important that we take the time to look at these words of Jesus in the parables. And since I haven't had the opportunity to preach in the Kingdom of God series yet, I'm coming with a twofer this morning. Y'all cool with that? I promise it's simple. It's not going to be an extra long sermon. We're not doubling the sermon time. But I couldn't help myself. We're having a twofer this morning. And you're going to find it in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles or if you have your version Bible app, you can pull up Matthew chapter 13. And these parables are found in verses 44 through 46. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, this is where the twofer comes into play. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it and bought it. Now, like many of the parables Jesus taught, what we see in these two parables is incredibly simple, right? The the meaning there is plain. At, At times, Jesus was asked by his followers, by his disciples, Jesus, could you explain this parable? This is not one of those parables. The meaning is quite plain, and yet I would argue at the same time, it is also radically imaginative. And so we're going to explore these parables by looking at three elements uh, I see present in these two parables um, that we can take with us and put in our pockets and be compelled by, hopefully. That's my job, right? Yeah, okay. Y'all are like, not there yet. But the three elements we're going to be looking at this morning, because I'm a preacher, I'll give you three, right? The kingdom of God is hidden, yet discoverable. The kingdom of God is hidden, yet discoverable. The kingdom of God is valuable and costly. And the last thing we'll focus on this morning is the kingdom of God produces joy. And so let's jump in. Let's jump into this. In the first of the two parables, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it. And so there's a couple things to me about this com- that are compelling to me about this image of a man, the kingdom of heaven like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, the kingdom of God isn't obvious. It's simple in Jesus' presentation of it, but there's a hiddenness to it. But then there's this interesting thing that happens. There's a man who finds it in this image that Jesus presents. How? Jesus doesn't say, right? What kind of preacher is Jesus? He didn't come with three points. This is how the man found the treasure in the field. Did the man have a treasure map? Did he have a shovel? I like to imagine 
the man having a day like many of us have certain days walking through a field and thinking about all of the things he's frustrated with, his laptop breaking perhaps, and just kicking a rock out of frustration, and there's the treasure. Right? I don't know. Jesus doesn't say, and I'm not going to give you an answer this morning when Jesus doesn't give you an answer. Sorry. But I will say that there is an invitation at the bare minimum to be on the lookout, right? Maybe this is because God is waiting for attentive eyes, ears, hearts, as he reveals the mystery of his love to us. I've shared this story before, so I'm going to share Cliff Notes version. Uh, and those of you who haven't heard the longer story, let's have coffee or something. Is that okay? Okay. Awesome. In high school, I didn't grow up in a context where I had any um, connection to Jesus or the Jesus narrative or the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I had this friend. It was somewhat of a pesky friend who was always inviting me to church. They had a radio show they did in like the afternoon. It was like a Christian radio show. And they were a friend of mine, but they were also kind of a little always annoying trying to get me to go to church, right? How many of you ever had a friend like that? Some of y'all here today. <laughs> Sorry, peace be with you. And I found myself at, in a season of my life where it was a real, I, I was broken laptop, Ian, kind of season of my life. And I called my friend. I said, hey, can I come to church this Sunday? And I could tell that I took them, it took them by surprise. Um, they were like, wait, Ian is calling me and asking to come to church? I was just, I was real, real broken laptop, Ian. And my friend was very hesitant and reluctant to um, say yes. They said, how about the week after? I was like, what is wrong with my friend? They've been trying to get me to go to church with them for a couple of years. What's wrong with them? I had found out that they were visiting a different church that Sunday, and it was actually a church that functioned primarily as a homeless ministry. And so it met in downtown Hilo, Hawaii, where I grew up. Those of you who didn't know as well. Y'all are learning so much about me this morning. Grew up, downtown Hilo, Hawaii is a, a, a small little hole-in-the-wall church next to a Thai restaurant that I used to go to called the Love of Agape, or yeah, the, the Agape of Christ. And I walked in that morning and I understood right away why they were reluctant to allow me to come to church. But I was real broken laptop Ian, and I was compelled, I was motivated, uh, and I, ha- I was on the lookout for something new in my life. And I walked in that morning, and I knew right away why they were reluctant, because the pastor, um, no offense to um, the more mature of my brothers and sisters in the room this morning, but she was in her late 80s. So the pastor, she was in her late 80s, and worship that morning was the pastor with a tambourine and a boombox. No joke. And so she's there like Angie, like, come on, folks. And in the room was my friend and her mom and the pastor's husband. And I think at some point, some random person walked in at some point that morning and left at some point as well um, to that. And I was, I was okay. I didn't, I didn't have any frame of reference for what church was. But that was what church was, and my friend's mom came up and read a story. Uh, it was actually a story from the Gospels and the words of Jesus 
speaking to the crowds and he said he was telling them how they needed to pick up their cross and follow him. And they asked me, do you want to do that? And I said yes, because I was intimidated by the tambourine and the boombox. No, I, I actually said yes, because I was compelled by a mystery by the mystery of God's love. And I actually think that I was open to it because I was on the lookout. Now, I was a man walking through a field and I found a treasure. I don't know how I found that treasure and I don't know how we all stumble upon the treasure, the mystery of the kingdom of God. But I think starting with an openness to be on the lookout is a good place to start. Is a good place to start. And so... Perhaps we could begin with a prayer like this. God, would you open my eyes, ears, and heart to discover the treasure of your kingdom? Simple, right? Maybe we could just start with a prayer. I'm sorry I don't have three helpful tips for you as we explore this idea of the kingdom of God being hidden yet discoverable. I do know this. I do know that God wants to reveal his love to us. I do know that God wants you to understand that you are his child. And I do know that he, he loves you no matter who you are or where you are at this morning. Yes. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. I'll take some hallelujahs for that one. Awesome. Another thing we notice in these two parables is that the kingdom of God is valuable and costly. So while the kingdom of God is a precious gift that's discovered, it's a gift that requires a cost. How many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yes, a few of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a theologian uh, in the 21st century. He lived during World War II in Nazi Germany. He was a pastor. Um, And he spoke of and wrote about this idea of Costly grace. Grace is the free gift that comes at a cost. In many ways, it's a paradox. It's the gift that is so great, it costs nothing less than all of us. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price. To buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace. Because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Bonhoeffer dropping bombs. 
This parable reminds us that the invitation into the kingdom of God is not without cost. Jesus sets a radical minimum standard in following him. In order to find your life, he says what? You must lose it, right? And he, he invites us to not only love God and not only love our neighbor, but he in, invites us into this radical idea that our love for God is dictated by how well we love our neighbor and our love for neighbor is dictated by how well we love our enemy, right? This is a radical minimum standard that Jesus sets for those who are invited in to follow him. And that's a costly price to pay. That's a costly price to pay. A price that we pay not in order to earn or receive grace and forgiveness. It's a price we're able to pay because of grace. It's a gift. Now, I was reminded of costly grace this week by a, by a man named Brant Jean that I want to share with you. And it's a video that probably some of you have already seen. It's been circulating around the internet this week. Um, but you're going to get the witness a statement that Brant gives to a person whom is being convicted for murdering his brother. It's a statement I believe came at a great cost to Brant personally, but a cost he was able to pay, I believe, because of a miraculous grace, the miraculous grace of the kingdom of God at work in his life, the work of the kingdom of God in his soul. And so let's watch this video together. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. She had murdered his brother. Uh, something compelling to me about that video. There's also something haunting to me about it as well. But it's a compelling image to me of costly grace at work. 
you better believe that that cost Brant something to speak those words. There's something mysterious, miraculous about the work of the kingdom of God in the hearts of people. And to some, it's backwards. What about justice? What about equity? Those are valid questions. Those are valid concerns. And they shouldn't be looked over or um, skipped over just because we watched an incredibly compelling video of someone offering forgiveness because that's not forgiveness that we can give. Only Brant could give that forgiveness. As he said, I'm speaking on behalf of myself. But I think I showed that video to highlight the work of costly grace at work in someone's life, what that could look like as an example to all of us. Now, before we move on to the next point, I do want to mention that there are are those of you who want more substance and commentary on this particular issue than what I just gave. To hi- I brought that video to highlight the idea of costly grace at work, but I also wanted to provide you with some resources as well so you can look into a little bit more new- nuance because we don't just have forgiveness at work in that. And equal to Brant's video that went viral was also um, Botham Jean's mother who spoke out as a call for justice and a call for um, systemic racism to be addressed and um, an angry plea for justice. And that is an equally valid conversation to highlight and amplify as well. And so I read this article on the Washington Post titled, White Christians, some of you, do do not... Do not cheapen the hug and message of forgiveness from Botham Jean's brother. And I highly encourage you to read that because I myself and many of my white brothers and sisters are guilty of this at well. It's called tone censorship. We're okay of amplifying a person of color's voice when they're offering forgiveness, but we're not so comfortable when they're pleading for justice in anger, okay? And so that's a part of the conversation as well. Please read that article. Also, a pastor in Queens, his name is Rich Viotas. Our church is actually connected to his church through a network called Ecclesia that we are a part of. He pastors one of the most diverse churches in the world, in the most diverse community in the world. And he penned uh, this on missioalliance.org, a pastoral response to the hug seen around the world Please go and read that article as well. Here's a snippet to whet your appetite to please go and read this article as well. As a pastor who has begun to lead forgiveness liturgies during our Sunday worship gatherings, I've had to wrestle with the divine call to forgive while not neglecting the human need to feel. Forgiveness is costly, and if we're going to live with integrity and congruence, we need to hold on to the various human dynamics at play. This is why the church must be reminded 
that forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget what someone has done. There are no consequences for what others have done. We no longer feel pain or grief. There will be reconciliation. Things will be as they once were. We excuse what someone has done or that we don't seek justice. It is possible to hold on to the miraculous act of forgiveness while practicing profound lament and holding out for justice in our world. It's hard, but by God's grace, we can witness this miracle becoming a reality for us. That's what we see in the parables of the kingdom of God, right? An ability to walk in the tension, to walk in the tension, to we're invited to expand our imaginations from uh, either or to a both end, right? Not forgiveness or justice, forgiveness and justice, right? The church can call for both things. And that's a radical vision for the world, right? Okay, now while I'm captivated by the nature of the hidden yet discoverable kingdom and the valuable and costly nature of the kingdom of God, There's a characteristic that I want us to notice as we conclude this morning. The kingdom of God produces joy. Produces joy. And even though joy came first in the parable, I wanted to wrap up with this, right? Because we had to watch that video. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. This can be easily missed characteristic or nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, The fruit of the kingdom is not only costly discipleship. It costs us something. But the fruit of whether or not we are living in it, we find ourselves in the stream, the goodness of the kingdom of God is joy. We stumble upon it and it might be costly, but it produces an inextinguishable joy even in the midst of our broken laptop lives, right? Thanks for that, Tasha. You've been helping me preach this morning, right? This joy is something that God wants for all of us. Isn't that a compelling invitation, an invitation into joy? This doesn't mean that there's not a cost. It means that that in God's kingdom, no cost can extinguish the joy we experience in the presence of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Ultimately, that's why Brant Jean could forgive. It was a miracle. And I'll tell you this. We will never compel our neighbors to embrace the kingdom vision that Jesus presents with joyless religiosity. It's just not going to happen. I promise you this. But as we are personally awakened to discover stumble upon the joy of the kingdom of God, we become people who are compelled and motivated by joy. And when our neighbors walk by the house of our lives, so to speak, it's kind of a metaphor I'm giving, they should gaze upon a table that's full of food and wine and conversation and laughter and singing. We could use a bit more of that, right? Okay. And so may we pray that we discover the kingdom of God. God, would you open my eyes, my ears, my heart to discover the hidden treasure of your kingdom. And because of the great value 
we experience in the kingdom of God. May we be miraculously, graciously equipped to lose our lives in order to find it. And may our hearts be so filled with joy that those who gaze upon the table of our lives would be compelled to find that there is a seat for them at the table as well. That there is joy to be had today if we find ourselves awakened to the reality of the joy that is here and present right here in our midst. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to sing one last song together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 